When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on not wanting to pay for a second group wedding gift, not wanting to discuss your health with a family member, giving Emily Post books as gifts, and not wanting to eat around others. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about keeping coffee around for your guests when you don't drink it yourself. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on dining etiquette through the years from Margaret Visser's The Rituals of Dinner. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And it's and... good to be with you this fine day, Lizzie Bose. <laughs> it is good to be with you as well, Dan. And uh, it is it is a fine day. It's a beautiful day here in Vermont, but it is also a zero degree day here in Vermont. It is cold. Minus two, um, according to the thermometer on my car. It is minus two. And I guess being like bundled up in the house, it was a good way to receive the realization that I made a really stupid email faux pas. <laughs> Oopsie daisy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And the worst part is, is that I didn't even realize I made the mistake. Dan had to point it out to me. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I didn't call to point out the mistake. I just wanted to be sure that you <laughs> no, we were, talking were about aware of, of what um, I was aware of. And I was not. It was really good that you pointed it out because I was not. Audience, what happened was, was that we were emailing back and forth with some people outside of the Emily Post Institute and and they were a team and Dan was our point person. So sometimes the emails that got sent would just go to Dan and often when that happens he forwards them to me and when he did that on this particular occasion I didn't notice that he had not forwarded me but BCC'd me and so when I hit reply and I what I actually hit was reply all oops, Lizzie, what I didn't notice was that there was another person that ended up on the reply all and my very casual and making a joke totally like offhanded being really casual. I remember sending it from my phone because I used an emoji in the joke about who is this Lizzie with a Y person that you work with, Dan? <laughs> being like joking around. Autocorrect almost always puts my name as a Y. So I'm really used to receiving emails from people outside our organization where my name is a Y. And this particular time, it had happened a couple of times and, and I was just feeling jokey about it. And so when I responded, 
back to Dan, you know, with a, a casual response to the news we'd received for them. And the joke, I didn't know that I sent it to the people who had sent us the email to begin with. It couldn't be a more classic email <laughs> etiquette mistake. I'm such a boob. Um, but so, you're not. You're, you're funny. And I think well, that helped in this particular case. Really funny is that Dan and I had had like a real, like the briefest of like, you know, we're on the phone talking about all kinds of stuff and we touch base about this reply. Oh, you saw that, that you know, this thing has been postponed. We were like, yeah, yeah. And like the joke about the who's Lizzie with a Y. And then. It was really interesting because after that, I was working last night and I saw an email come in from this third party apologizing for having misspelled my name and with like a crying emoji after it. And I was like, I was like, wow, they must have like ESP or maybe Dan like mentioned something to them or maybe he just realized it on his own, like when he saw something, I don't know. And that's not at all what happened because I was sitting there not realizing my response had gone to him as well, pointing out the, the joke about my name. Oh, Dan, so oblivious am I. So I wrote back to him a really nice and friendly email that was like, ha ha ha, no worries at all. Like, it happens to me all the time when I type my own name and autocorrect. Like, we're so thrilled at the prospect of working with you in the future. Like, let us know if we could be of any help. I echo all my cousin's sentiments. Just not realizing at all that there was this middle email that this guy had seen. Oh, it's such egg on face, Dan. <laughs> and not that much egg. You, you are the beneficiary of your own good nature. And I think that ultimately... Your general good spirit and observance of, I would say, one of our broader etiquette principles of don't be a person with, with grievances all the time. Be someone of good nature, <laughs> of good humor, and conduct yourself in a way that you could own what you're saying or what you're doing with anybody, even even if it is an internal email. If your internal emails are pretty solid, it doesn't matter if one slips out because they slip out. That's the nature of email. Are you saying that my use of the 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 laughing crying emoji, like the, the laughing emoji that's laughing so hard it's crying and rolling on its side was enough to, to warrant this is I was really joking and like just te teasing and like I didn't mean to send this guy this email. <laughs> Well, so there's another, or, and you're saying it like that—that's the good nature that's worked for me because I don't think my oblivious nature has worked for me on this one. <laughs> yes, I think you're interpreting what I'm saying <laughs> the way I intend, and the crying emoji brings up the laughing crying emoji brings up another classic email etiquette question, which is: Is the use of emojis in emails appropriate? And mm -hmm. in this case, it saved my, my it saved did. Me. <laughs> and the official answer is generally you want to avoid it, particularly fresh emails, new emails. If you're getting to know someone, they can be interpreted differently. So you want to be really clear with your communication. But mm -hmm. there's this growing body of research and awareness and people who are familiar with emojis as a deep part of their communication that they can really add emotional content also. So if you've got an established relationship, if you know someone, if you are two cousins that work together every day <laughs> and have for decades, those emojis actually say a lot and communicate a lot. And I do think that it helped bring your good humor and that emotional content to what could have otherwise sounded maybe a little snippier. And oh, totally. I mean, <laughs> it would have sounded so bad without that emoji. 
so three cheers for emojis and yeah. <laughs> um, I so appreciate your just bringing this up right at the top of the show because there couldn't be any clearer example of how rude behavior or, or even the possibility of rude behavior, the roots of it are so often in a, a gap in our awareness, just totally. some 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 blind spot that we carry with us and for whatever reason or emerges in a situation and – just reminding ourselves of that, I think, and laughing at ourselves when it happens to us can help us be generous with other people when we're on the receiving end of it. When you get that email that wasn't intended for you. <laughs> well, thank thank you for the the little mini therapy session and, and trying to to buck me up on it because I'll probably still be wearing a, a paper bag over my face for a little bit. No, but, <laughs> but um, I can still answer etiquette questions while we do that. Hopefully, my my credit hasn't slipped too low. <laughs> at this point but uh do you think that we should get to our show questions let's do it awesome etiquette is here to answer your questions you can email them to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463 or reach us on social media on twitter we are at emilypostinst on instagram we are at emilypostinstitute and on facebook we're awesome etiquette just use the hashtag awesome etiquette with any social media post so that we know you want your question on the show Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week asks, is two gifts too much? Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks so much for your weekly dose of inspiration for more thoughtful and kinder living. I learn so much with each podcast. This one makes me feel kind of embarrassed to ask, but here goes. 
We've recently moved to a new community and been blessed with many new, wonderful, and delightful friends. Truly, we feel so fortunate to be where we are right now. One couple whom we met last year have recently married, second for both following divorces, and naturally we are all happy for them and wishing them the best. The wedding was intimate with just their children. A friend is hosting a luncheon for the woman in our circle, about 15 or so people, and we will all be chipping in for a gift of couple's massage for them. Nice. The luncheon will be at a local bistro, and we will all pay our way. My dilemma is that another friend has also asked for a donation of $50 for a restaurant gift certificate for them from just a few of us. I'm just not into that second gift. Am I being a Scrooge? We are all in our 60s and have the resources to dine where we like. I'm all about the massage gift. That's a $25 chip-in. I think this second gift is a lot to ask. I'm not terribly close to this couple, but we do socialize together in groups. So, do I just ante up both times and get over my reluctance, especially since I can't pinpoint why I'm opposed? If I choose to opt out of the second gift, how do I politely let the organizer know I'm in on the first gift, but not the second? Thank you for your guidance. Reluctant gifter. Oh, reluctant gifter. This is a a tough little spot to be in. And I think it's one a lot of people can sympathize with. You've you've just sort of done a luncheon that you, you as a guest have paid your own way to. And then you've also participated in a group gift that you feel really good about. And it, it's, it's like, oh, that feels really great. And you feel good about celebrating this couple. And then someone turns around a smaller group of people. And I think from the sound of it, and pardon me if I'm wrong, but I think from the sound of it, this is a group that was also in the luncheon, not a separate like friend group or something, it seems like is ponying up and say, or, you know, speaking up and saying, let's also do this. For me, I don't want to say I question that because I feel like questioning the the spirit of the generosity is not a very polite thing to do. But at the same time, this other group is branching off to do something more that has an even more expensive buy-in. And it, it, I could see how that just feels odd or like it might offset dynamics. Like, why not ask if everyone wants to participate in a restaurant gift certificate as well from this this group that, that's all already doing a gift together. I don't know, Dan, is, am I being silly about assuming there's a little bit of awkwardness in that or like a little bit of like that feeling that we often try to discourage when it comes to office gift giving of a couple of people doing more or a couple of people doing something special rather than a whole team? This is social, though. I, I hear what you're looking at and and mm-hmm. saying to yourself, what's the purpose? What's the intent of that second gift? And I think it can be helpful to ask that question and as far as it might draw you in if you started mm-hmm. to find an intent that you really got behind. Maybe this person knows them particularly well, loves this restaurant or knows they love this restaurant like you and can see imagines that all of you like going together. There's a particular yeah. – but if if that's not drawing you in – like you, I'm saying to myself, I'm not going to call the motive suspect, but if I don't feel right. in alignment with them, I'm not going to feel bad about saying no. I, I, I feel really good about this other gift that we did. And thank you for offering to include me. Thank you for giving me a chance to be included mm-hmm. in that one. But I'm going to opt out of the the group gift that's the restaurant and – or that's the restaurant gift certificate. I like your sample script right there. In our notes, we made sure to start with that. Thank, thanks for thinking of me. Thank you for including me. 
and then yep. move into your decline and making sure that you just recognize that someone, whether from their perspective or yours or both or not, is trying to include you in an act of generosity, an act of kindness. That's a nice thing to, to at least say thank you for and thank you for thinking of me for, even if you don't think that gift is necessary or it's something that you want to participate in. So I liked I liked hearing it in your sample script. Uh, well, I, I learned from the master. <laughs> the the thought that I had about where this might have come from that might that might help is I was imagining mm-hmm. someone who's saying, boy, I know what this person loves is such and such a restaurant. It's their absolute favorite. And in order to dine there, you need to get to this number really for, for a gift certificate to that mm-hmm. restaurant to be useful for someone. So maybe the thing that's motivating this person to ask is to try to make it a more affordable gift for anybody that would want to be participating in that or would want to to get on board with that second mm-hmm. gift. And in some ways, because it's a mathematics question, it's easier for me then to pull the motives out of it and to just say, <laughs> no, in this case, the math doesn't quite work on my end of things. So I appreciate the offer. Thanks so much. And 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 best of luck putting that together. It, it sounds like a really nice thought or something like that. Dan, that idea is actually making me lean into the other suggestion that reluctant gifter placed in their question, which was, do I just go for it and participate in both these things and not worry about it? Because A, I can afford it. And B, these these are nice people, even if I'm not the closest to them, like, you know, just just play along, go for it. Don't worry about it. And if you wanted to lean into that, what you actually just said gave me a lot of motivation to be like, eh, why not participate? You know, maybe it will bring down the cost for everyone else or could allow this couple to dine at a place that they really couldn't dine at otherwise. And and that doesn't have to be the only reason, but it I, I think there, there are ways to look at it that when you're not questioning it or running it through that filter of, oh, goodness, I already did something for them then you could you could lean in and be like, okay, I could be convinced to do a little bit more. But um, certainly not something you have to do if it still doesn't feel right. I think that's one of the other points that we make about gifting is that a, a gift really should Absolutely. feel right to you. And so if if nothing, when you think about the situation, gets you to that place of, yeah, you know what? Why not just participate? This is a lovely thing to do. Then honor those feelings and make the decline and and thank them for offering to include you. Reluctant Gifter, thank you so much for the question. We hope that our advice helps, that you continue to enjoy your new neighborhood, and that you don't feel bad about declining to participate in something like this, as there is no etiquette that says you have to. That's certainly more fun than disputing over it, isn't it? We call this way of settling a dispute a compromise. That's when neither has his own way entirely. Our next question is titled Medical Manners. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener, and I think you may have addressed a question similar to this in the past, but I could use a refresher if possible. I have an in-law who asks health-related questions about my family that I'd prefer not to answer. I know these questions must be coming from a place of love and genuine interest, but I'm more private and don't care to share these details. Sometimes I feel this person is fishing to discuss an ailment or problem to maybe use it as a way to build a connection, question mark. And I just want to focus on positives, not dwell on talking about ailments and problems. Is there a good way to politely end these conversations? 
Do you have any sample scripts, smiley face? Thank you, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for the question. And we do talk about versions of this question on the podcast periodically because they're so important and Mm -hmm. they are related to some fundamental etiquette questions, both about our privacy and how we maintain boundaries around privacy in our lives, both publicly and within our personal or social lives. And then there are also some, I think, really good small ball etiquette questions about managing conversations and potentially personal or controversial conversation topics and Mm -hmm. how you approach those with people. I want to put some etiquette foundation under the the, the house that this answer could be. And (laughs) that's the, I want to start off by saying this is absolutely a decision that's up to you to make. You get to decide how much personal information you want to share, particularly about health and health issues within your immediate family, where oftentimes those lines around privacy are are so open. And um, within households, people oftentimes know so much about each other, taking a lot of care with health information about family members and immediate family members, as well as yourself is a really wise thing to do. And from an etiquette perspective, whether you're making decisions to share that information or keep it private, thinking about how you do it and handling that with some intentionality is is the first step towards doing it in a way that makes everyone feel comfortable, both you and the people that you're communicating with, in this case, your in-laws. And I think one of the first easiest things you can do when you've got a situation like this where you know the the particulars, you know the orientation that you want to share, which is that you prefer to be more private about these mm-hmm. things. I think you want to be really comfortable putting that out there right off the bat that it's perfectly okay to say something like, oh, I really don't like to discuss the details of that situation or that particular health condition or however it is that's brought up. It's okay to just decline to go into it and to decline to have that conversation. And you're not required to give any explanation or reason for it because it is a health related issue. It's a reasonable expectation that other people will respect your privacy. I feel like, Dan, even when people haven't heard our particular structure of uh, the tiers of conversation that places medical and and family things way up in that third tier of, of pretty private, that even if you haven't heard of that before, you've likely heard of the idea that conversations about someone's personal medical history and their personal health aren't general topics of conversation. There's a there's an awareness typically of the idea that these are delicate conversations. Even if this person, because their family, I think it was mentioned they were a cousin, thinks they're within that inner family circle. And so they get mm-hmm. to ask, you know, which does make it a little bit different. But but there is a general awareness of medical stuff being something that someone might tell you, hey, I don't want to talk about that. And so I feel like being giving like giving the encouragement to say that is really easy because it's it's not such a generic topic for us, such a low hanging fruit topic for us. There's a second part of this question that I find really interesting, and I I find it so interesting because I love the attitude where there's a recognition that this person might be really genuine in their interest in building connection or rapport around talking about these things. And I I like the spirit of seeing that good intention there, but Mm -hmm. also having the critical eye of knowing yourself well enough and, and knowing how relationships function well enough that... There are other things you'd rather build that connection around. There's other ways you want to 
to grow this relationship besides talking about things that are difficult or hard or just are private in your mind. And it's it's a trap that so many people fall into. It happens so often. And I really like the idea of investing in the relationship and talking to this person about your desire to do that. And I don't even think it needs to be set up as a counter to this other right. thing. But talking to someone about how you really like to keep your conversations positive, that you like to approach things with a positive outlook. And that that might be enough to start to guide it in that direction. Even just changing the subject to asking them about things about their life and really choosing to be invested in the conversation and the listening can be a way to show someone that you you are really invested in building this relationship and in fact, you're invested in hearing about them and and their life and what they're interested in and what they want to do and and that that would be of great interest to you. Dan, it reminds me of how Emily describes conversations like going fishing and that you kind of like toss mm -hmm. some lines out there and sometimes, you know, the bait gets taken and sometimes it doesn't. And that's the indication of how to pull back or go forward into something. And by consistently driving the conversation towards the topics you're more interested in, in building a relationship with this person around can be one of those ways to redirect without having to directly correct or call out what you don't want to talk about. I like the direct approach sometimes, but if you were worried that the direct approach might scare someone off of you or if they might not react to it well, you could kind of take that fishing approach and that that more like slight redirection every time they ask about family. Oh, I don't have a good answer for that, but I'd love to talk to you about this. You know, those redirection tactics that we've talked about before. Lizzie, I can't leave this question without bringing up the other thought that occurred to me when I read it, which oh, yeah? comes from a personal place. And I'll share just a little bit of what walks up to the line of health information about my own family. Mm -hmm. And that's that my parents have reached that age where they are fully enjoying their retirement and <laughs> are socializing more than I've ever seen them socialize before with mm -hmm. circles of people that aren't connected immediately to my brother and myself. And I know that they have agreements with certain people that they hang out with and not agreements, but they've reached an accord that they're not going to talk about their minor health issues with each other all the time, <laughs> that there is a real temptation at their stage in life where that's a big focus for them and the, the peer group that they socialize with. Mm -hmm. And there's so much good information that gets exchanged. They learn so much from each other and from their friends who are all going through very similar things or oftentimes are are looking for support, looking for help, looking for information that mm -hmm. that conversation can very naturally grow and grow and grow and become the bulk of what people are talking about. And they want to keep the ability to have those conversations, but they also have been really explicit that they don't want that to be the only thing that they socialize and talk about. And mm -hmm. There is, I think, a way to to, to maybe acknowledge that also oh, with really yeah. good humor and good spirit. And <laughs> it might or might not work for Anonymous's particular situation. But it was one of the first thoughts that, that popped up in my mind, which is that I've got this very immediate example where I've heard recently about people doing this intentionally as a way to – to keep relationships operating in ways that they feel really good about, like, and, and leave room for the good stuff as well as support and helping each other with things that are oftentimes harder. 
I love it. I love it. That's a great example, Dan. Anonymous, a quick apology to you. I mentioned, I think, that it was your cousin and it was actually your in-law. And I would like to say that I really hope that our answer helps you navigate this relationship with your in-law well. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? Our next question is about Emily Post as a present. (laughs) Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. First, I must applaud your podcast, the book, and all versions of content produced by the Emily Post Institute. Well done. I admire the work and follow your podcast regularly. I also own the book and am looking forward to the new edition. My etiquette question is actually about the gift of the book itself. I have stepchildren who are young adults, moving on from the college experience and moving toward law school and life's other endeavors. I have to say that I feel they could use some exposure to this content in both the book and the podcast. How does one in my role as a stepparent suggest they listen or gift them the new edition of the book? I would love to be coached on the etiquette of introducing Emily Post Institute and all its resources to those aspiring young folks. Lisa Ann Santon. Lisa Ann, thank you so much for your question. I, l- I love this question. We joke all the time that ding, our ding, books ding. make the, get, the, the best gifts. But that also comes from hearing from people that they've appreciated it or that it was something that they were gifted when they were 16 or 18 or at a particular graduation or maybe an engagement or something like that, um, maybe maybe as a, a housewarming gift. So it comes from a place of reality, this joke, a place of truth, this joke. But I really do think that these gifts, you don't have to worry about it looking like you're telling someone you've got bad manners. And one of the ways to do that is to present the, the book with a a sort of like, uh, they're young adults. So as you make it on your own, or as you're coming into your own, I found this kind of information really helpful and still find it helpful. So I'm hoping it'll be a good resource for you rather than a you need to do what's in here and figure this like life thing out. <laughs> like, you know, like two very different attitudes. But oftentimes I find that when this book is given from w- with the spirit of it's been such a help for me, I hope that it could be a good resource for you, that people really appreciate it. They find it interesting. It sits on the coffee table for a bit maybe. And then, you know, someone goes through a couple pages and it leads them to then another couple pages or they go to a brunch and they go look something up afterwards. And, you know, it's just th- things like that happen with it. And so I, I do think it is a good and giftable book. And then Dan, I've got some ideas about how to get them listening to the podcast, but I'm curious, what what are your thoughts on the gifting of the book? Okay, let's talk book first. And I I, I think you're absolutely spot on. It it doesn't necessarily need to be given as a corrective measure or a scold. And the book itself can be presented in a positive way in so many ways. I love your idea of connecting it to tradition, Lizzie, to talking about how it worked for you, maybe how – it was gifted to you at some point and you found it so useful. I think that there's something really powerful about involving someone in something like that, something that's that's yeah. a tradition that has some history and that you could present it as as either just personally this worked so well for me or I want to hand this on to you the way it was handed on to me. I, there, there, I could think of a number of different angles that put that positive spin on it. 
I started thinking about that as you went through the lists of a time that someone was likely to give the book yeah. around a graduation, uh, around a, a, a change in, in, in life circumstances. Someone gets a new home, moves to a new community, gets married. Those are all transitional moments in life. And we know that those are moments where people turn to Emily Post, that mm -hmm. they're some of the biggest searches on our website. They're the things that bring people to us and the information they look for when they find us have to do with things like weddings and births and graduations and new jobs <laughs> and um, important moments in life when things change, when people go through transitions and oh, absolutely putting the book in the context of one of those transitions is a really natural thing to do. And I think instantly places that book in that positive place, that forward-looking place. Milestone as to, place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As opposed to corrective or, or about fixing a problem. Absolutely. Dan, I've got a two-pronged approach for how to bring the podcast into these, these two kids' lives or these two young adults' lives. I can't you, wait to hear that. You got them. it? Okay. So I think you got to go with make it happen casually and also make it personal. The, the make it happen casually is like when you're prepping dinner or working on a project around the house, have it playing in the background. And, you know, if they're in the room with you or something like that, or like if y'all are driving somewhere together, throw it on. Maybe you laugh about a couple of the questions or how one of the hosts was a real dummy about emailing. <laughs> like, you know, you can try to sort of quietly infiltrate it into their lives that way. And then I think the more personal version is that when you hear a question on the show that might pertain to them or something they're interested in or going through, uh, send them a link to the show with a timestamp of when to queue in. So you're not saying you should really listen to this. I think you'd love it. The hosts are great. You know, like rather than talking up the show, make it really personal to them. Like, oh my gosh, I heard this and thought of you. Listen at, you know, three minutes and 25 seconds. That's probably the middle of the intro, but still, it, it, I think that that's one way to hook somebody when they're not just automatically looking for new podcasts or you know that they enjoy Q&A behavior shows, you know, things like that. I love the idea of sending it timestamped. And I know and <laughs> a little beyond my technical capability. I know I've achieved it a couple of times because sometimes you'll even be prompted to. Oh, I just mean sending the actual timestamp. I didn't know there was a feature where you could make it pick up exactly where you want it to. You wow. can. And I, I'm trying to remember whether I've done it with podcasts or YouTube videos or what. Okay. But there's definitely a way to send the link so that it starts at a certain point. Our um, magical world. <laughs> it really is. It's incredible. I had one more potential okay. add to the list. It would be a very personal way to sh share the show with someone. Okay. Send a salute. Give someone oh, a salute. And if you do it, one. absolutely share the show with them. And if you can figure out how to timestamp it to the end, that's great. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that that's a, a, a really powerful way to engage someone. And who knows whether it'll earn a new listener to the show, but I guarantee it will make them feel really good. Lisa Ann, thank you so much for sending in this question. We hope that you and your family enjoy a lot of Emily Post etiquette in the future. There's a lot to think and talk about on the subject of manners and many good reasons to ask, are manners important? Our next question is titled, Evading Eating with Others. 
Hello, awesome etiquette team. First, thank you for your truly awesome show. Your episodes never fail to make me feel better about this sometimes scary world we are living in. I'm so glad they have that effect on you. I have an etiquette question bouncing around in my head for some time and figured this would be a good time to ask while you're soliciting extra questions for the upcoming vacation and paternity leave. I have been with my partner since college, and we recently moved to a new city where many of our friends live. We love our jobs and the opportunity to see these people that we adore, well, when the virus allows at least. My partner has a condition called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. In short, for medical and psychological reasons, he has an extremely limited diet. Anderson Cooper has the same condition. We have been together for long enough that between the two of us, it is not something that causes any wrinkles in our day-to-day life. The problems arise when friends invite us to dinner, whether at a restaurant or at our homes. Many of our friends enjoy cooking and eating foods from their family's cultures, as well as trying new cuisines. I do too. Frequently, though, this does not align with the few foods my partner can eat without getting sick. He does not feel comfortable sharing this part of his life with others, which I respect. I do feel like we are running out of excuses, though, to get him out of dinners or at least attending a dinner and not eating there. Oftentimes, he will say that he has to work, quote unquote, not untrue. He does have a very demanding job and then meet up with us after the meal. But I worry this can come off as rude and inconsiderate. Do you have any sample scripts or suggestions for how we can navigate this as a team? I want him to be comfortable and I don't want to place limitations on our friends. Thanks so much. In a pickle. Oh, in a pickle. I hope that our answer can help you feel a little less in a pickle. In some ways, this is a a new classic etiquette question. While in Emily's day, we didn't hear a lot about hosts asking about food allergies or dietary restrictions. Certainly in 2022, we've had enough years behind us where enough people have presented hosts with those restrictions and food allergies that at this stage, it's almost an expected part of the host guest dance as part of the the setting up of events and dinners and get togethers that involve food for people to almost as a matter of course, either ask this question of guests or expect to hear something if it's important to know when guests reply to an invitation. So I want to start off just by saying that from an etiquette perspective, there's a pretty established part of the host guest dance where it's a natural place to do some negotiation around figuring out if there are accommodations that can be made or what's the best ways for guests to participate. Dan, you're really right about how comfortable we've gotten with that host guest dance. And it makes it really easy when someone does have a food restriction or even is temporarily on a special kind of diet or something like that to say, hey, I've got this going on. Can I bring a dish that meets my needs? Or, hey, I've I've got this going on and it means I'm really like not eating with other people right now or something like that. Whatever it is, explaining it. And then coming and participating in the meal, whether it's you bringing a dish where it's them making you a side dish that works or making sure there are things that meet your needs or understanding that you just won't be eating the meal, but are there to enjoy everyone's company can all be things that work and fall into that dance very, very easily. And I think friends will be really happy to figure out the ways to best entertain 
uh, you as a guest and to entertain with you and engage with you socially. And I think all of that's really great. I think the thing, and we don't know this, but in a pickle wrote that the specific condition was avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And that can sometimes come with an aversion to eating around other people or being around food at all. And I don't know if your partner's condition is that severe, but that would put it in a category where it's a little harder to explain or negotiate why your partner might only show up after the meal. And, you know, that sort of part of it is a little bit harder than, oh, he can just bring a dish that meets his needs without explaining something about why this has to happen every time. And I'm not saying that you have to reveal anything at all, but I do think that it's important to recognize that if we're pushing into that side of the particular disorder that it might be harder to find ways to have the conversation with the host, have it make sense, and at the same time, completely protect his desire to not expose any of his connection to the condition. I think that it's a really good idea to think about how much participation your partner can do when people are eating, whether it's going to be possible to say yes to invitations that involve meals and dinner being served. And that's a really personal choice that you get to make. And eating together, sharing food, as you acknowledge in this question, is such an important social ritual, whether it's people sharing their traditions or their cuisine, or whether it's trying new foods and taking pleasure in that, or whether it's just the simple act of breaking bread together that is so significant for families, friends, acquaintances, people in business. That if you're not going to be participating in that social ritual, figuring out other ways to engage people so that you are able to build those relationships is another avenue that might be really helpful. That it might be that while you can't say yes to a dinner party invitation, that you can reciprocate with a afternoon tea or maybe a with lot. an invitation to do something that doesn't involve food at all. Lizzie Post, you're better at coming up with them quickly than I am. But <laughs> I think a walk is a great idea. Or um, maybe it's watching a football game, but you say we're not going to have the nachos and you let people know about that so that they can come and enjoy the game and not feel like they're missing out on something. And I do think that if the food and being around the food isn't as much of a concern and there is a, a dish that your partner could bring that meets their needs – if you're looking for language where you're explaining enough about that your partner needs to bring their own dish, but not fully explaining the condition, I think you could easily say something along the lines of, you know, for a number of different reasons that I won't, you know, go into, you could use Dan's often used strategy of humor at that point, which I, I will not humor. go into detail to either gross you out with or, or take your imagination too far. Um, I need to eat a restricted diet. Or if you, if you don't want to joke around about it and instead just say, you know, my partner actually, it would be great if he could bring a dish that meets his needs because for a number of reasons, he's on a really restricted diet. Often that's enough to just have someone say, oh, that's totally fine. Of course, we'd rather have him come and enjoy, you know, in a way that he can than not. 
And, and that can just be enough. And people don't ask as much when people, when you're then at the party and someone notices you have a different dish and then they say, inquire about why that's when I think you can employ some of Dan's good sample scripts with the humor. Dan, what was the one that you had said on a similar question earlier? It was, Oh boy, I care. But right now what's jumping to mind is please pardon my squeamish nature or my squeamish discomfort. I just, I don't like to go into the details, but trust me, it's really better if I bring my own meal or <laughs> something like that, there where you, you put go. it right there on you yourself. Just excuse me not wanting to get into all of the details of this, but just trust me or or, or, or roll with my comfort level talking about it, please, and, and, and allow me to help you so we can all get together. <laughs> and maybe not that long in the moment, but, but, but parts of that would definitely absolutely work. In a pickle, I can see how you could feel in a pickle with this one, especially if some of the hypotheticals we gave are engaged in this particular scenario. But we do hope that for the ways that you can engage, that you really lean into them enthusiastically so that your friends know that socializing is something you want to be doing with them and making connections is something that you appreciate with them. And that should help you smooth over anything that you're not willing to share at this point in time. In a pickle, I really love pickles, but I hope that this answer helps get you out of this pickle. <laughs> Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at EmilyPostInst. On Instagram, we are at EmilyPostInstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you're a fan of Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. There you'll get an ads free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your continued support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we have feedback from Kimberly about the situations we discussed in episode 375 and 380. Dear Lizzie Dan and the rest of the Awesome Etiquette team, thank you both for all the work you put into creating such a sincere, charming, and helpful show. Your thoughtful advice has helped me out more times than I can count. I would like to offer some feedback on the situations listeners shared in episodes 375, the unsolicited cheerleader the listener encountered while out running, and 380, the incredibly offensive comment from a listener's coworker. I would like to think that if I were a friend or acquaintance of the offending party who happened to witness such behavior, that I would gently inquire as to the person's intentions and question their actions, especially when our intentions are pure though it's difficult to make that assumption about the coworker in episode 380, it can be hard to step outside ourselves and recognize the hurt we have caused. The onus should not have to be on the person who was harmed to educate the person who hurt them, and a third party can keep the situation from escalating. Of course, I don't know if this would have been possible in either of these scenarios, but wanted to throw in my two cents and at least remind myself of how I want to behave in similar situations. Thank you again for challenging us all to make the world a kinder, more beautiful place. Best, K. 
Kay, thank you so much for this feedback. I love the reminder that as a as a third party, and it's delicate, right? Sometimes you don't want to insert yourself into a situation or it's hard to critique other people. But there are other times where it can actually be really easy and even helpful and welcomed. I always think of it as the, you know, the, the little bird or the, the family grapevine, things like that can actually be really useful to tap into as ways to allow us to all understand how our behavior is impacting those around us or to understand a little bit more about someone new in our group. I mean, there, it was, it's, it's a really good thought. I really appreciate you sharing it, Kay. I know. I always get nervous when I hear about correcting someone else or, or doing something that calls out someone else. And at the or same inserting time, inserting yourself into a situation. Yeah. The, the heart of this feedback really seems to me to be about it's like a, a look at yourself around getting involved and maybe the, the situation here requires that you stand up for someone or that you um, share a perspective on something that might be illuminating to someone who's not seeing something in a certain way and that you've got more agency or more ability to do that as someone who's not directly involved. So in some ways, it's it really is about a, a, a look at oneself. And I really appreciate Kay's reminder that we do have that kind of agency and we do have the potential to be those helpers in the world and that sometimes that's really appropriate. Thanks again for your feedback, Kay. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about a passage from Margaret Visser's The Rituals of Dinner. This comes from page 313, where Visser discusses some very old school manners for problems that we still encounter today. Where people eat with their hands from a common dish, it is etiquette that nothing bitten should be put back. It must be eaten entirely by the person who took it. In the days when it was good-natured to share food directly with others at table, people had to be reminded not to offer a pear or some other fruit into which you have bitten. Such rules are made largely irrelevant by the modern custom of serving everybody separate portions, but we keep to the spirit of them by dislikening teeth marks left, for example, in bread. Bread is to be broken into pieces small enough to be consumed entire and not put back on the side plate. Teeth marks remind us of teeth and anything bitten is leftovers. If a mouthful of meat proves too tough to chew, we are presented with a problem. In Erasmus's day, it was polite to turn away discreetly and toss it somewhere. The only area that counted and had to be kept clean was the tabletop. However, bones and leftovers were on no account to be thrown on the floor in Erasmus's book, even though the dogs would have appreciated them. They were to be placed neatly at the side of one's treacher or discarded in a dish called a voider. Special dishes for leftovers have officially returned to European dining room tables in very recent years. The French call them poubelles de table, table garbage containers. <laughs> They are useful nowadays because they obviate some of the table clearing. The disgust value of leftovers standing on the table is apparently reduced by carefully relegating them to their own particular, consciously provided dish. 
All right, Lizzie Post, before we talk about double dipping, three cheers for In Your Rasmus's Day. <laughs> I know. Because we often talk about In Emily's Day, and Margaret Visser just went over the top. <laughs> well, it was so awesome to hear. I loved I, I stumbled upon this little section. It was kind of funny. But I loved, as I read along, so so many things that felt so incredibly familiar to the etiquette that you and I have been writing about, and especially what we've just put into the 20th edition. And then you're right, this drop of, of and way deep in history, back in Erasmus's day, he's writing about this. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, it just, it was really fun to sort of etiquette geek out on the much greater history of table manners and where they come from and what's considered appropriate and the the different dishes that emerge in order to take care of the particular niceties and grotesquenesses of the day you know what i mean and like what's considered good and bad like it's okay to just take that hunk of gristle and toss it behind you but do not put it on the table you know <laughs> Uh, it makes sense to me in a certain context. <laughs> also, my little ears perked up when Margaret Visser started talking about the return of the discard bowl yes. to the table. And I know it's one of your personal favorites or definitely something that you like to uh, remind people, <laughs> encourage people to include because it makes eating certain foods so much easier. Oh, Dan, you tease me. I am remembering that moment of editing during our last editing session where I think you had had to read the dining etiquette chapter twice. And, and therefore you were like, we talk about this discard bowl for fish and shellfish. So we talk about it everywhere. We got to cut this. We cross-reference it. Cut it. And in, in actuality, there weren't that many reference of it. But I remember going back through the chapter and counting them in order to either justify keeping or find a way to get rid of them. <laughs> it's officially an Emily Post Institute inside joke now. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. I, I like hearing about the history of them going in and out of fashion, you know, whether those bones are pu pushed to the side of your plate or or whether they actually have their very own container. Same with shells and shellfish, things like that. Um, but it's it's fun to dip back in and hear how in other eras we interpreted the idea of grossness and how etiquette is often the solution to dealing with that at the table. Well, consider me a convert. I'm in favor of the discard bowl. <laughs> Nice. Well, thanks for letting me explore this little section of Visser with you all. Like everyone else, she thinks that her etiquette is perhaps not perfect, but good enough so that there are no glaring errors. She is proud of her table arrangement and thinks she deserves a word of congratulation. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms, and today we have an etiquette salute from Beth. Greetings, Lizzie and Dan. Life at my home became unexpectedly complicated over the weekend when we did a home COVID test on my four-year-old and found he was positive about two hours before our makeup family Christmas celebration oh, no. with my husband's family. Since yesterday, we've split the house in half between my husband with son on one side and me with our 16-month-old baby on the other, attempting to isolate to keep baby healthy. Well, last night also brought the first big snow this season, almost two feet. Ooh. Not unheard of for Northeast Ohio, but definitely a lot. While the baby was napping this afternoon, I went out to start shoveling the driveway. Our neighbor was doing the same across the street with his snowblower, 
and, when he finished with his driveway, came over and did the rest of ours. When thanked, he said the previous owner of our house had done the same for him. So my etiquette salute goes out to Steve in Willoughby, Ohio, for a kind and neighborly gesture that made a really rough week a little better. Cheers, Beth. I'm going to read the P.S. P.S. Dan, as a parent who is very much in the baby stage of life, I was so excited to hear about your upcoming new edition. Sending best wishes to Pooja for a smooth delivery and wishing you a wonderful paternity leave with your family. It is so sweet. Well, Beth, thank you so much. And I, having gone through various different stages of like half quarantining homes and knowing <laughs> yes. people who've oh, gone through goodness. exactly what you're going through right now, my, my heart goes out and I just so appreciate your good spirit and you're finding the goodness in it. And I'm going to add a salute to your salute. I love that your neighbor <laughs> helped you out. And I love that the person who owned yes. your house before you started it all in motion and um, was also a really good neighbor. And I just know that that's going to continue to be passed down. And I'm sure the neighborhood is really grateful to have you there as well. Beth, thank you so much for your salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and your salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris, Thanks, and, Chris Bridget. and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget.